the Development Policy Centre podcast. In this episode, we bring you a public lecture by Ms. Gerda Verberg, Chair of the UN Committee on World Food Security and of the World Economic Forum Council on Food Security and Nutrition. In her address, Gerda examined the evolving role of multilateralism in ending hunger and malnutrition. Uh, well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, colleagues, friends, uh, thank you very much for coming uh, today. It's a good turnout uh, given the, uh, the dismal weather I'm afraid we've put on uh, today. Let me uh, begin by acknowledging and celebrating the first Australians on whose traditional lands we meet, the Ngunnawal people, and uh, pa- by paying our respects to their elders, past and present. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Stephen Howes. I'm the Director of the Development Policy Centre, which is one of the research centres here at the Crawford School. Uh, we have a particular interest in foreign aid and in the uh, sort of multilateral global development system. Uh, I don't know a number of colleagues here work on uh, global food security issues. So I think all of us are very happy to have this opportunity uh, for this uh, public lecture or, or discussion, really, uh, with Gerda Verberg. Uh, Gerda is the chair of the UN Committee on World Food Security and of the World Economic Forum Council on Food Security and Nutrition. And she also has a lot of um, practical policy experience in this area, in particular from 2007-2010, was the Dutch Minister of Agriculture, Nature and Food Quality. Um, and her topic for today is the evolving role of multilateralism in ending hunger and malnutrition. Uh, I'll just mention she's, um, you know, we, 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 we're obligated to the Crawford Fund, who have um, brought... Gerda out to Canberra, and she spoke as the keynote speaker at their annual conference uh, on food security, which is currently ongoing uh, in Canberra. And um, I think that's about it. Gerda says she's going to speak just for a short time, maybe about 20 minutes. Uh, we've got an hour for the whole session, so that will give us lots of time for a Q&A discussion, so please do be prepared uh, to interact. Uh, but for now, please join with me in welcoming Gerda Verberg. Thank you very much for the introduction and good afternoon, everybody. <clears throat> nice to meet with you. I think the Crawford Conference uh, is, uh, uh, is uh, has finished uh, yet. This morning we had an interesting uh, um, uh, breakfast, interactive breakfast with uh, uh, a number of, of members of Parliament and uh, from the Senate, and that was also very interesting. Uh, interesting. But I was really looking forward to have this uh, meeting uh, as well. Um, and as uh, John told you, um, I hope to speak about 20 minutes and then we have uh, a lot of time for interaction because that's always enriching, hopefully for you, but for m- myself as well. Ladies and gentlemen, in his 1963 speech to the United Nations General Assembly, the late U.S. President John F. Kennedy expressed two ambitions for that decade. First, to commit to a manned moon mission and to end world poverty and hunger. On July the 21st in 1969, Apollo 11 landed on the moon. However, more than 50 years later, we still haven't managed to eradicate hunger. What does this tell about the complexity of solving hunger? Well, today we live in an age of interlinked challenges, but also of endless opportunities. 
This year, 2015, was dedicated to the stocktaking of the UN Millennium Development uh, Goals, the MDGs, the eight goals that were set in the year 2000 to alleviate poverty and enhance development. Overall, important progress has been made. A total of 72 developing countries out of 129, uh, or more than half the countries monitored, have reached the uh, Millennium Development Goal 1C, which is halving the, the number of hung hungry people. For the development regions as a whole, the share of undernourished people in the total population has decreased from 23.3% in uh, 1990 till 1992 uh, to 12.9% at present. However, 795 million people still go to bed hungry every day including 167 million children whose physical and intellectual development is impaired by undernutrition and nutrient deficiencies. These, number remain, remain, these numbers remain unacceptable. And as the new Sustainable Development Goals are about to be endorsed in New York in September this year, we really must step up our efforts to eradicate hunger and malnutrition globally. Today, I would like to share with you my vision of the challenges we are still facing today, which hinder progress and are the paradigm and the paradigm shift we need from the multilateral system to tackle these challenges. We can and must move beyond short-term economic self-interest and build trust in each other so that we can jointly move ahead. This will, in my view, require three key points. First, inclusiveness. The views and interests of all stakeholders related to agriculture and food security need to be acknowledged, understood and taken on board in the designing and implementing of policies. Second, it is important that these policies be evidence-based and that knowledge and information are shared among all stakeholders. Third, each of us should take individual actions with collective responsibility towards society, uh, to, towards society in mind, so that together we can reach the common goal of sustainable uh, global food security. But let me start by describing some of the uh, paradoxes and difficulties that stand in the way of food security and nutrition for all, uh, linked to the roles and different interests of uh, various different stakeholders in the field of agriculture and food security. Food is produced by farmers. Paradoxically, however, the majority of the hungry people in the world are farmers and their families, Farmers constitute a very heterogeneous category from tiny smallholders in developing countries to high-tech mega farms. There is no one-side-fits-all recipe and policies aiming to support farmers worldwide in contributing to global uh, food security must tackle a complex range of factors. A great variety of contexts and scales depending on natural, political, 
and economical environments. Most farmers are entrepreneurs who produce to make a living. Let's not forget this. Some people tend to think that smallholders uh, um, are, no, uh, are not an entrepreneur. Well, they are. They want to make a living. They want to make some profit. They invest and take risks, for instance, poor harvest and other shocks, face increasing environmental constraints with impacts of climate change on yields and weather variation, depleted natural resources, impoverished soils, etc., etc. They also face a double challenge of urbanization, which not only transforms agriculture land into urban areas, but also attracts young rural people to the cities where, the hope, where is the hope with the hope of making a better living. Convincing the young generations to take over farms has become a challenge worldwide from small African family farms to uh, the US, um, Europe or Australia. So farmers must be better supported in the role of providing the world's food. The second group I'd like to, uh, to highlight a bit is consumers, and we are all consumers. We can play a crucial role in, in a growing world population of over 7.3 billion people. Food consumption is not divided equally. Around 80% of, of the world's uh, production is consumed by the wealthiest 20%. And while around 700, I mentioned it already, 795 million are undernourished, a fast-growing number suffer from obesity, currently already over 1 billion. What more? An increasing number of people, mostly in developed and BRIC countries, too poor to afford a healthy quality diet, are simultaneously affected by hunger and by obesity. Diets are a key challenge for the future. As we speak, an affluent middle class is quickly arising in newly developed countries, hungry for more meat, fish and dairy, the production of which is much more demanding on natural resources and has a stronger environmental impact than crops or vegetables. Fortunately, particularly in Western countries, but also in Australia, consumer mindsets are slowly changing and public awareness and consciousness campaigns gain clout, assisted by new technologies and social media. This also applies uh, to uh, the increasing uh, ability of consumer organizations to influence the food industry and governments, for example, by taking social responsibility. More and more actors are standing up to fight against food waste. Food left on our plates after dinner, products thrown away uh, immediately after their expiry date or because of incorrect labeling or appearance. And this is more than timely. The average um, European or Australia wastes uh, per person around 100 kilogram of food each year. Per person. Just think about it. You and me included. 
Third group is the private sector. The private sector has only recently been acknowledged as a key stakeholder in the promotion of food security and nutrition. But the most recent multilateral discussions on financing for development in Addis Ababa, uh, Addis Ababa in uh, last July all agreed on its central role, which is expected to grow further within the food system with the current pace of globalization. While profit remains the driver of business and industry, the attention of many entrepreneurs is increasingly focused on realizing long-term relationships with suppliers, governments, and consumers. Um, so they are focusing much more on inclusive growth and they are willing and open to cooperate in a transparent and sustainable way in order to make a lasting difference. However, to thrive and play a positive and responsible role, businesses of all sizes need an enabling environment. Governments and international organizations play a crucial role in this respect. An enabling environment means having predictable and evidence-based policies, programs, governance and institutions that can support food producers, producers with public investments that facilitate private investments with a sound and stable legal framework and through, and through the provision and development of infrastructures. Their policies and programs have a tremendous impact on the availability of and access to food worldwide. But how many countries are really giving proper attention to the organization of their food system? It cannot be denied that some challenges, peace, security, prosperity, are too big uh, and, and interconnected to be solved by governments alone. And clearly, interests between governments and even ministries within governments diverge. So it is important to realize at all times that farmers will only be sowing if they have the expectation to harvest and if there is a well-functioning market to sell their products. International organizations meant to support national governments in achieving this all have their own vision and means of intervention. This helps to address the diverse aspects of food security related issues with often different dimensions. But it also creates the risk of overlap or even mandate creep that may cause duplication or even contradictory interventions and messages. The risks may develop of hidden competition, sometimes motivated by resource capturing, with no real incentive for partnership or sharing of information and resources. International organizations must focus all their efforts in fulfilling their mandate and it is the responsibility of member countries to play their part in this. And lastly, civil society organizations. They are serious and important partners with the possibility and res responsibility to represent people that would otherwise not be heard. 
And they often have access to people that are very hard to reach, helped by the fact that many civil society organizations are working independently of governments. Irrespective of this crucial role, like all stakeholders, they need to be mindful of what their end goal is and whom they are representing. Some of these organizations cherish the romantic idea of smallholder farmers. Great, but if this means that smallholders stay hungry, poor and dependent, then something is clearly wrong. Smallholders, in Africa most women, need support to improve their livelihoods themselves in order to create a better future for their children and grandchildren. Civil society organizations can and must contribute to bringing together smallholders and support them in strengthening their own position and to do it by themselves. For instance, through cooperatives, skills and or production and market strategies. Summarizing, all stakeholders bring their own perspectives, their assets as well as their particular uh, particular challenges, but joining efforts to tackle food insecurity and nutrition, to tackle food insecurity and nutrition, however complex and time demanding, is clearly a win-win and the only way forward. So, how can we move forward? Three crucial axes should guide the evolving role of, of the multi multilateral system. Inclusiveness, knowledge and responsibility. They constitute, uh, constitute the paradigm shift the world needs to achieve sustainability in all its three dimensions. Economic, sustainability, social and environmental. And particularly for food security and nutrition of all, for, of all worldwide. Henry Ford already recognized the importance of inclusiveness when he said coming together is a beginning, keeping together is progress, working together is success. And not merely by coincidence, a traditional African proverb says, it, says at the other side of the planet, if you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. The United Nations Committee on World Food Security, CFS, which, which I'm the, 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 the proud chair of, is worldwide the most inclusive international and inter intergovernmental platform for all stakeholders to work together in a coordinated way to achieve food security and nutrition for all. As a citizen of the Netherlands, for whom this way of working with the private sector and civil society um, having an equal position at the table is engraved in our genes. This is mere common sense. But within the multilateral world and intergovernmental inter work, this is a sea change, which slowly but steadily gains cloud in the UN system. Imagine how many of the interests and dimensions that we have just uh, discussed would not be fully taken on board if policy dialogue just took place among states 
and international organizations. We need to have all relevant actors around the table. Food security is interconnected with so many different issues which go beyond direct agricultural production, but which we need to consider in their own context. Take climate change. In the discussion on reducing carbon emissions, agriculture and food production were long seen as part of the problem. And they are. But for some farmers who struggle to feed their family, climate change is an abstract notion, not a first priority. But gradually, we are becoming aware of the opportunity that sustainable agriculture represents with regards to climate change. Um, um, it, it can be part of the solution. Hopefully, this will come out, this will, will, will come out the uh, Paris COP21. As you might know, we had already the summit in Addis Ababa, Finance uh, for Development. We will have the... Um, um, the, the, the decision-making on the Sustainable Development goal, Goals in September in New York, and we will have COP21 on climate in Paris um, in, in November somewhere. So um, we would like to see a strong narrative out of, uh, of, of Paris, not only dealing with the decrease of uh, greenhouse gases, um, but dealing with a narrative that can be understood by everyone in the, in the world and where every family and every entrepreneur and every farmer can contribute to. So agriculture and food security um, should not only be uh, considered as part of the problem, but should be involved as part of the solution. We need to be open to accommodate different views ranging from people most affected by food insecurity, like smallholders, women, indigenous communities, etc., to those having the economic or political power to change things for the better. What is new in our increased understanding uh, that to work on, on food security, one has to consider it in practice, in all its dimensions, and coordinate actions to promote food security. We live in a small, interconnected world, and increasingly decisions taken in one part of the world have remote effects somewhere else. And there is a need to respond to those who are impacted, often the most vulnerable. So inclusive decisions are more likely to be, dur to be durable over time. Taken at the international or global level with representation of all those concerned, these decisions are then be transferred back and adapted to the field where implementation takes place by various prime actors just as conveyors, conveyors belts. Within CFS, we have worked on voluntary guidelines on the responsible governance of tenure of land, fisheries and forests in the context of national food security, the VGGT. It took two years to reach an agreement among all different stakeholders, each within their own interests. But it was worth the effort because every stakeholder is proud of the result of the collective work and show ownership at all levels. These two years 
have helped not only to arrive at an agreement in Rome, but also to prepare local actors to implement the guidelines together in their own countries and to cooperate at grassroots level as well. So it was an investment in trust and it is an investment for the long term. Investment in time, uh, in understanding, in trust is also what enabled us within CFS to deal with another major, major is issue. Principles for the responsible investment in agriculture and food systems. Again, a challenge, but such a crucial topic to agree upon in a multi-stakeholder way. The document agreed last year is already referenced by many global players from the G20, where Australia is playing an important role, the OECD, to the Addis Ababa Action Agenda on Financing for Development. And make no mistake about the fact that these documents are voluntary. Signing such guidelines or principles means politically and morally committing to them, whether they are voluntary or binding. A big, num big number of countries, among which uh, Senegal, Niger, Liberia and Sierra Leone, companies like Unilever, Coca-Cola and Pepsi, and CSOs, for instance, Oxfam, now actively use them in their national policies, business practices, and to monitor and report on corporate social responsibility. Secondly, knowledge exchange is essential. We must learn from, from what has worked and base our action and politics on evidence. The past years have shown a tremendous increase in attention to proper monitoring and evaluation instruments to measure effects and outcomes of policies and interventions. This is especially important in fields such as food security and nutrition, where the added value of an intervention is often difficult to measure and baseline data are not available. Grounding our work on evidence is the key to broadening and deepening our understanding of food security and malnutrition and of its immediately and underlying causes. It requires scientific expertise at different levels and interaction with stakeholders. And this is why the Committee on World Food Security created the high-level panel of experts on food security and nutrition, our HLPE, a dedicated group of international experts that provides independent, evidence-based analysis on the themes that CFS decides to address. This participative uh, research body looks at the state of research on topic CFS requests and presents a solid evidence-based report with associated uh, policy implications. This prepares the ground to enable constructive discussions among CFS stakeholders on what policy recommendations should be made to tackle the challenges. We also spend time and effort to look back and we learn lessons and draw conclusions from previous processes. For instance, experiences gathered during negotiations 
um, on the principle for responsible agricultural investments will feed in into the organization of future negotiations. It is very important, but often overlooked or neglected, to be frank, to be frank and transparent about what works and what doesn't. Both are valuable and both gives us less lesson to learn to learn. Thirdly, responsibility and ownership must be felt at all levels. In CFS, member states take decisions, but only after substantial debate and negotiation with all stakeholders. This means everyone has a duty to play their part in implementing decisions, whether it is on responsible agricultural investments, food security and nutrition in protracted crisis, or tackling food losses, food loss and waste. First and foremost, countries, of course, through the policy and, en and enabling environment, but also civil society, private sector, academia, international organizations, UN agencies. If all CFS participants play their role in implementing CFS recommendations, we could really see the difference the difference uh, multilateral collaboration can make to tackling a global challenge. There are already good examples of countries that are showing the lead in cross-sectoral collaboration and where stakeholders play a responsible role in relation to one another. A few, on the, a few days ago, on the occasion of my visit to Manila, on my way here, I met with the Asian NGO uh, coalition, ENGOC, and was heartened uh, to hear from them about the work conducted in the last years to follow up on CFS policy instruments. For example, with a review of selected land laws and the governance of tenure in the Philippines as a follow-up on the VGGTs, or recent plan to build awareness on the CFS principles for responsible investment at the Asian regional level. ANCOC and Landwatch Asia uh, campaign members in Bangladesh, Cambodia, uh, China, India, Indonesia, Nepal, Pakistan, Philippines and Sri Lanka are currently working on broadening the space for civil society engagement with regional institutions such as the Asian Development Bank, Association of Southeast Asian Nations, South Asia Association for Regional Cooperation on land investments as how they impact on food security, uh, tenurial rights and environment. This kind of leadership from different stakeholders is what will ultimately make the difference between a voluntary set of principles agreed in Rome and real improvements in food security and nutrition on the ground, while meeting uh, the challenge of increasing investments. Ladies and gentlemen, to conclude, inclusiveness, evidence-based and responsible, uh, responsibility are the paradigms which, which should guide the evolution of the, of the future multilateral, multilateral system. Only Multilateralism can support us in moving beyond ill-understood, short-term individual 
interests and towards a global sustainable, global sustainable solutions in agriculture and food security. All stakeholders need to invest in trust building, be willing to listen and learn from each other, and take ownership of their actions. This takes time and effort. But a multi-stakeholder approach is necessary to, to move forward towards, uh, towards the world we want. This has been acknowledged very broadly as this year moving towards the new post-2050 sustainable development uh, goals. Well, all stakeholders have been solicited, consulted and engaged to define our common objectives for 2015 till 2030. And there is a common understanding that after the endorsement of the Sustainable Development Goals, all stakeholders will be responsible for implementation of these goals at grassroots level, from country level back down to uh, uh, grassroots level. In May 2040, the UN Secretary General, Mr. Ban Ki-moon, addressed CFS stakeholders in Rome. He praised CFS' innovative multi-stakeholder approach and stressed the importance of the Rome Agenda on Nutrition and Sustainable Agriculture for the post-2015 uh, development agenda. He said, yours is one of the best untold stories of modern development. Something to think about. Yours is one of the best untold stories of modern development. But for development to be truly modern, we must start telling this story from now on. So please join me in telling the story, but not only telling the story, but really invest in multi-stakeholder collaboration. It takes some time. It is a huge investment in uh, trust, but in the end, solutions are more sustainable and durable, and we can end hunger and malnutrition within our lifetime uh, based on sustainable agriculture. Thank you very much for your attention. Oh, well, thank you very much, uh, Gerda. That's a very uh, wide-ranging presentation. I think uh, probably new for some of us, sure familiar for others. So I'd like to uh, invite questions or comments uh, from the floor on uh, any aspects of this. Uh... It's always uh, difficult to take it to be the first. That's right. So I invite the second. He's <laughs> a brave uh, soul. <laughs> Just take it to your presentation. Yeah, we'll just use the mic for the uh, podcast. Yeah. Thank you for the presentation. Um, I was just interested in your observations on the importance of domestic politics in some of these issues. So you referred to essentially some policy settings that governments choose to implement. It, and what, what a national government chooses to implement within its jurisdiction is quite important to food security outcomes and from what I've observed in this area, like some of the policy choices are quite politicised due to domestic constituencies sit behind those. So I'd be interested in your observations on, on that and how does that influence what is achievable, what are the ways about 
of actually influencing you know, collectives of governments who have those before I answer this question, let me explain a little bit why I uh, used to say that uh, people coming from the Netherlands have uh, multi-stakeholder collaboration in their genes, in our DNA. It is because of the Netherlands is a small country. One-third is below of the country is below sea level. Um, and I was born and raised in an area that is six meters below sea level. So if my ancestors wouldn't have worked together in a multi-stakeholder way, I wouldn't have been uh, here. Um, I wouldn't have been a woman called Gerda, but probably a fish called Wanda. <laughs> well, it makes clear um, that you really have to uh, work together, and we are uh, used to it. Well, the, uh, uh, your, the answer on your, uh, your question, I've been reading, I had a delay in... Um, uh, where did I, and, um, well, when before I arrived here, and I was, um, I was able to read some papers. So I, I took note on the talk of the town when it comes to politics, uh, politics here in uh, in uh, Australia, uh, in Sydney. I was waiting. I had a delay in Sydney. Um, I know that the, this government has other priorities, but it doesn't prevent business. Um, civil society organizations and know-how and research uh, uh, institutions to get their act together, to come together, to think about the future, the possible future of this country, and to also think about possible developed leadership of this uh, country in the area. And if I look around in this area, I think it's very promising to take and show leadership as, uh, as Australia because you're an expert on uh, agriculture, you're an expert on uh, water, you have to share a lot and you can, you can take the lead. It's not only about expert, it's also about uh, uh, collaboration uh, when it comes to development. A lot of emerging economies in the, in the area, so there, are, uh, a lot, there is a lot of opportunity here. And let me tell you, the rest of the world is looking at Australia um, uh, as a leader. All right. Well, maybe I'll ask the next question, and then John can go next. I wanted to ask you, you I mean, I was heartened when you said it's an untold story, because that made me feel better. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm not that familiar with it. I mean, could you just say a bit more about the history of the uh, World Food Security Committee that you chair, and yep. especially how it relates to FAO, right? Yeah. That might be a very naive question, but you think a lot of what you're talking about is what FAO should be doing. Um, yes, the point, the point is here. We, we, um, the, the Committee on World Food Security was... Uh, started in 1974, but it was an FAO um, uh, committee and um, not very active, only governments represented, although it was meant that it would be, would be stakeholders. In 2008, um, um, you might remember or you may recall, uh, there was, there was the, the food price crisis and many uh, people uh, turned out um, and, and some uh, uh, women said, well, I work all week like hell and I, I don't uh, uh, earn enough to maintain my family with a proper food uh, basket. So what is going on uh, here? And um, uh, some analyses show that the so-called um, uh, Arabic Spring was, uh, was caused by that well now. 
you may consider uh, the Arabic Spring what it is uh, right now. But at that time, uh, we noticed that FAO didn't have uh, something uh, ready to anticipate or to react for a rapid response. No, nothing was there. Um, and uh, so at that time, there was the, in the initiative to take measures in, in order to prevent a next crisis uh, like this. Um, for that reason, there was the start of the development of a system called um, Agricultural Market Information uh, System to predict harvests, the harvest uh, of, the, of the different crops um, so that it could be what, what is information worldwide and there is, we're preventing panic because panic is, uh, is, is fueling a uh, crisis. And there was the uh, initiative to make the, civil, the uh, CFS really multi-stakeholders. And at the time, uh, people um, in invented a civil society mechanism and a private uh, sector mechanism. So from 2009 onwards, CFS is really multi-stakeholder. Um, we deal, we work with, uh, with FAO, but also with, with the World Food Programme and with the International Fund of Agricultural Development. They provide us with the technical expertise and they are our, uh, our um, implementing uh, agencies as well. But they are not multi-stakeholder and we, we really, um, at all uh, debates and discussions, we have the representatives of uh, private sector companies private sector corporations and uh, civil society organizations on board. And they are, they are there, everywhere. So it's the most advanced uh, mechanism and um, FAO is working on it, but a bit slower. Okay. Yeah, so, <coughs> um, I was interested in your comments on the voluntary guidelines on um, land tenure. Yeah. These are a nice set of principles and um, of course, with anything like this, there are those who um, support it and those who, like to back, can be more critical. And in a lot of the discussions on the land grabbing phenomena, some people have been very supportive. Some people also have been saying, well, this is a form of soft war mm -hmm. that's really hard to implement. Yeah. Now, could you reflect a little bit on the challenges of using those voluntary principles and how well they're actually being translated into forms of protection for vulnerable communities? They are meant to, um, to um, protect vulnerable communities, indigenous people, etc. They are meant to uh, prevent or deal with um, or try to cut back land grabbing. Because land grabbing is an overall uh, definition or framework uh, that... Nobody knows exactly what is what what is in it. Um, we hear the stories, but um, even I was not able to sort out under what conditions a country like China has um, rented or uh, bought or uh, leased land in countries like well, countries in Africa. But there is a lot going on, and with these uh, voluntary guidelines. NGOs, civil society organizations, but also local communities have something in, in hand to uh, ask their government, please step up, sit around the table, and international businesses, please uh, take your responsibility because you have agreed upon this. Well, um, and let me tell you this, um, although um, in general one could think that 
if you have um, uh, ob ob oblig ob ob if you have a law um, uh, oblig uh, compulsory uh, um, uh, regulations um, or binding, binding, that was the word I was looking uh, for. You see, I'm not a native speaker, so I, from time to time I have to, to struggle. Uh, binding regulations, we would never have succeeded. I mean, look at the WTO. I regret that, that in the WTO they are not making that much progress, but all the steps forward um, uh, have to be uh, based on consensus and are binding uh, steps forward. So the last years you haven't seen a lot. But this is uh, morally uh, binding, although it is uh, agreed upon in a voluntary way. Yeah, yeah question. Um, you mentioned the WTO. Uh, I would be interested in, in your view on the role of trade differentiation in providing global food security. Um, this is beyond my mandate. <laughs> no, I, I would love to elaborate, but um, it, I, I, I think the, 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 uh, the, the, the position of WTO at this very moment is so complex. That um, my um, uh, my desire really would be that FAO, as a as an an, an expert uh, organization, um, uh, would uh, be able would find open doors and open ears in each country to deal with this uh, uh, topic. I think this is this is the agency uh, that's to, that uh, should step up. As soon as we start to bring it to WTO, it will be renegotiated, and um, no, it will it, it will not move uh, a lot. Probably, I'm uh, hopefully I'm too pessimistic, but I'm at, at this very moment. Uh, I, I wouldn't suggest to bring it to WTO and to ask WTO to play a role in this. Please. My question is related to the uh, aid management and aid effectiveness. So, what is, what is the role of uh, foreign aid for the development countries and how effective it can be uh, to eradicate uh, poverty or reduce the hunger? Uh, because uh, in, when we were pursuing the MDGs, so the MDG goal one was to uh, reduce poverty by half uh, by 2015. So, uh, it has been properly met. But the very over-ambitious goal has been set for SDGs, which is probably the first goal that is to eradicate poverty in all its forms. And secondly, the second goal is related to hunger. So, because the, uh, as for aid is concerned, uh, usually the countries who commit aid, they provide only one-third of the aid in practical form to the developing countries. Uh, so, what do you think? How do you pursue these countries to provide uh, whatever the promises are, whatever the commitment is? What yeah. is that uh, golden thread which you will uh, make available for these countries? Thank you. Um, as soon as the signature is there in September, and I think it will be uh, the signatures of uh, many prime ministers and presidents uh, in, in New York, um, they are responsible. So governments have to uh, come to deliver. Nevertheless, not everything can be expected from government. Governments, it never, 
has been the case and it will never be the case. Don't expect everything from government. I'm, I'm a former minister speaking here. I've been in politics for 13 years. But we need government. We need government, for sure, to create a, uh, an, an, an enabling environment to come forward with a system of um, institutions and, and, re and legal regulations, etc. So I think it, um, it would be, um, the best way would be to have a smart uh, combination of aid and trade, economic uh, development and aid. Because let, let us be very frank and open here. Um, in the Netherlands, we, have, uh, we went through 50 years of development, uh, eight. The question is, how sustainable and durable was all this aid? I have seen and regrettably uh, seen too often uh, happening this. There was a program and a project and everybody was happy. And at a certain moment, the uh, project of the program was expected to finish. And there was no uh, phase for handing over. There was no phase for rooting this or for taking over responsibility, etc. So in the end, everything went back to where it was, which is even worse for the people who have had enjoyed and participated in the program or the project. So... My strong plea is to uh, think about also the next phase, to start, of, of course, with aid if necessary, but better to start with cooperation and to get things done and to build sustainability uh, also in an economic uh, way so that smallholders can get started and can organize their own corporations or producers' organizations. It's not necessary that they will be represented on, until... Uh, eternity by uh, NGOs. No, train them, uh, bring them together, um, provide them with with the with the with the instruments or technology so that it, they can take care of themselves and organize themselves. That would be my plea, and that's also what I see in future. Sometimes you see that um, people think tend to think that business is only about profit. Well, they are about profit. But it's, um, it's not always anymore the case that they are um, only focused on most profit on the shortest term. They really think ahead, how do we resource uh, within 5, 10 years? Um, don't we deplete too much? How do we get our supply chain uh, going on? And more and more... Um, captains of industry see the need to support smallholders. Yesterday I asked one of these um, captains of industry who was connected by, um, by video. I said, what would you like to see as your legacy? I first wished him a long and healthy life, of course, but I, see, I said, what would you like to see as a legacy? And he wasn't talking about, uh, the, let's say, the percentage of, of profit for his shareholders. He was talking about smallholders. He would like to see the position of, of smallholders strengthened, and he would like to see the, um, the area of, uh, of land of smallholders increased, uh, and he said until 12 hectares that uh, should be suitable. In his opinion, so I, so you see, uh, some people, uh, sometimes people also in business are thinking uh, ahead. Let me give one more example um, from the Netherlands. 
um, we do a lot of dairy. And um, the, my brother is on our, on our family farm, still on our family farm. And he is the, uh, one of the bosses of the biggest dairy corporation. And the CEO of this uh, corporation said, once said, why is everybody asking for my wallet here? Why do uh, also UN organizations only um, expect us to donate money? Ask for our technology. Ask for our logistics ask for our breeding and uh, cow management uh, uh, systems. We are really willing to uh, support you. Now, um, as soon as I arrived in Rome, I started to um, initiate with, together with FAO, the, the, partnership, uh, the partnership idea. And I said, okay, um, um, uh, FAO has a mandate and FAO has a, has a framework of values. Within that value framework, request private sector companies to add value to your work. It's FAO conditions, but request uh, business concrete, put, a, put forward, come forward with concrete questions where they can add value, and they will be happy to uh, to support you. So that's what we are uh, what we are doing right now. But it's FAO. It's not. Uh, in favor of the business is FAO that demands its FAO mandate, and uh, and and uh, private sector companies can um, feed in or can contribute. And that's what I believe also as a as a future model because too long we have offered people fish instead of um, giving people the opportunity or the instruments to do the fishing themselves. I just have one more question. Yeah. I just um, stumbled across. I was googling your name and I stumbled across your Twitter page. Ah. And I just noticed <laughs> that you've gone to the Philippines before. Yeah. This. Yeah. So I guess it's just a question about when you go to a country like the Philippines compared to somewhere like Australia. What sort of things do you do there? And I guess, and I guess it's a broader question about. Um, do you see yourself as a leader or someone who facilitates or um, yeah, collaborates or, or a mixture of those things? So I guess, yes, yeah, it's a general question about that. Um. I visited uh, the Philippines also as chair of CFS. So we have a very uh, active contribution um, from uh, the Philippines. They are very much uh, involved. They are taking on board and trying to implement the land tenure uh, uh, um, uh, regulations. Um, so I was there to take stock and to meet with uh, several uh, departments, but also with NGOs and with private sector uh, companies. It was only uh, three days, so I wasn't uh, able to see a lot of the of the country side of the uh, outside. But um, uh, it was very interesting. The role I see there for me is I'm the chair of the Committee on World Food Security, and I have ideas how to develop uh, this. So as long as they let me uh, uh, lead there, because I can only lead as far as, as my participants uh, uh, let me go, but um, they consider it as, an, as, as, a, as a, a, the, the right direction and they are uh, uh, supportive uh, to it. Um, how do I see my role? Well, I, uh, um, I'm 50-something uh, and I've gained some experience. And I'm happy to share these experiences and I hope 
from time to time to inspire people, to encourage people to step up and to take the approach of start to invest in um, in trying to to well at least uh, sit around the table with other stakeholders in order to look into problems and challenges from a different angle and try to build together a better future. Because one thing is clear: um, if we do, if we continue the way we are doing right now, we will make the same mistakes. We will continue to make the same uh, uh, mistake. We will ex exhaust our natural uh, uh, resources. One can uh, deny climate change. One can tell every, but a fact of life is there are more droughts, there are more heavy rains, there is a higher temperature uh, here and there. So um, be prepared to anticipate and uh, if necessary to react. And the best way to do this is that at least you know each other and that if the time is there, you can make a phone call and say, hey, I need you because we have to do work together. And nothing learns you better and more that it's necessary to work together than a crisis. But it would be smart of our generation of people to prevent a crisis by uh, starting working uh, together so that we can anticipate instead of react. All right. Well, uh, we are out of time, uh, everybody. So um, I have to draw it to a close. I think just in relation to that last uh, very good question, I think we can say, having listened to you now, Gertie, you're yeah. both a leader and a facilitator. Ah. And uh, thanks very much for coming here and sharing with us some of the important work you're engaged with. So please join me in thanking our speaker today. Let me say one word, because being here in the academic world, I count a lot on you people. Don't only study books, but go out in the field... Uh, try and make it happen in uh, practice. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. For more information on our work, visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au. To join the conversation on Australian aid, Papua New Guinea and the Pacific, and global development policy, visit our blog at devpolicy.org. At the blog, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all the latest updates or connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening.